That's a good one, isn't it? It's a good song. How many people, how many people here remember your, your very first job, the very first job you had? Okay, yeah. Now, some of y'all hadn't had your first job yet, and, and you'll, get, you'll get there. That's fine. I remember my first job, and uh, some of you are going to get this, and some of you won't. You're going to have to go look this up because it was a thing. It's not a thing anymore. My first job was pumping gas at a, at a gas station. Um, it, gas stations used to have self-serve and full-serve. And full serve is when you could pull up. Now, you had to pay a little bit more, but you'd pull up the gas pump, and somebody would come running out, and, and I would pump gas. I would check oil. I would check tire pressure. Um, that's what I did. I got paid to pump gas. And I have some hilarious stories from, from, from that. And the reason I say that is because I was sitting around with a group of guys one night, and we were, we were comparing our funniest stories. Now, I don't know if you know this about men, but men are competitive. We'll compete at anything. It doesn't matter what it is. We're going to compete, and, and we're going we're, we're gonna to play to win. There, there's, all, now, there's always the one guy that's not, it's like, it's not whether you win or lose. It's how you play the game because he always got beat up. Everybody else, we want to win the game. So when you're telling stories as men, you always try to one-up each other, right? So one guy, a guy could say, you know, I was walking down the street and got attacked by a dog, and Another guy was like, well, that's not a, I mean, that's nothing. I got, I was walking down the street, got attacked by two dogs. And the other guy's like, I got, I was walking down the street, got attacked by a T-Rex. And then one guy's like, I got, I was walking down the street, got attacked by your mama. And then it's over. It's just done. It's done at that point. But so, so I was telling some funny stories and I had a buddy there who, he just had this smirk on his face. And he said, he said, I, I got this one. He said, I got a story that none of y'all can top. We're all like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead, go ahead. So, he worked, his first job was at a pet cemetery slash crematory. Okay, right there. I was like, you got me right there. I, I, because I saw the movie Pet Cemetery, and I'm not going near one. That just freaked me out. And, and he said, he, what, what they would do is when your pet died, you would call this place, and they would, they would come out and get your pet, and they'd take it and, and cremate it or bury it or whatever you want to do with a pet. It was like funeral home for pets. And so he, <laughs> he gets this call, and there's this woman, and she's weeping hysterically, which I'm not making, some of y'all are like, don't you, don't you make fun. I'm not making fun. I got two dogs, and if either one of those dogs, like, got hurt, it, Shannon and I, we would weep over these dogs. We love these dogs. Isn't it crazy how these little things just take over your heart? And so I'm not, I'm not upset that the woman was weeping at all. She was weeping. Now, she was weeping over a cat. And, and I, I, I little question a little bit of the sanity there, but, but her cat had died and she's a, she is like bawling. So, and my friend, he's like, ma'am, we're gonna take great care of Fifi and we're gonna get out there. And he said, could you give me your address and uh, we'll, we'll come out and, and like pick up the cat and, you know, take care of it. And she said, oh yeah, yeah. And she said, she gave him the address. She said, but I don't want you to come until tomorrow. And he went, all right. I mean, that's fine, it's your cat, but um, can I ask what you're going to, like, are you going to put the cat in the freezer, or like, what are you going to do with the cat? And she said, I have cuddled with this cat every night for 11 years, and I want one more night with the cat. Now, I know we live in a society where you're not supposed to think, say things are dumb or stupid, 
because it triggers people. And, and the word trigger triggers people. But I'm, listen, I'm just here to tell y'all, I don't care. I'm not woke. I'm here to tell you that's weird as crap right there. That is weird. If, if the cat is dead, get, get the cat out of the house. Would you agree? Yes or no? Are you with, is anybody with me on this? Y'all are looking at me like I'm weird. I know that it's get the cat out of the house. One more night with the cat. I get that you love the cat, but the cat's dead, woman. Now, this is, this is a cake baking sermon because some of y'all are like, how are you going to tie that in the Bible? You'll be amazed. So we're going to take that ingredient. We're going to put it on the shelf for a second and we're going to come back to it. When we take it off the shelf, you'll find, you'll see where it connects. Um, in the book of Exodus, the book of Exodus is a fascinating book because the Israelites have been enslaved to the Egyptians for over 400 years. Now, we're going to come back to that number. So I want you to say it with me on three. One, two, three, 400. Good. So they've been, they've been enslaved. Listen, America hasn't even existed as a nation for 400 years. That's a long time to be in slavery. There were people that were born, lived, and died in slavery. They never knew freedom. So for 400 years, they've been enslaved. And God said, you know what? It's time to, to set my people free. So he sent Moses, he sent Moses and his brother, Aaron, down to Egypt, if you know, you know. He would send them down to Egypt to go before Pharaoh. And they said, let my people go. And there was this big, huge battle. Now, he set them free through a process of 10 plagues. There were 10 plagues. And the reason there were 10 plagues is because the Egyptians were polytheistic, which meant they worshiped many gods. And the, the Jewish people were monotheistic. That meant they worshiped one god. And so every plague literally goes through and tears down an Egyptian god. You can trace the plague back to an Egyptian god. So the first plague is the plague of blood, which makes sense because we are delivered through the blood of Christ. And by the way, some people are like, where's our exodus? Our exodus came through Jesus Christ on the cross. When he died on the cross and rose from the grave, that means that we as his followers, as God's children, we can live in freedom. So we're not waiting for our exodus because our exodus has already happened. Now, back to the story. First plague, plague of blood. The second plague, for years, this confused me until, until recently I got it. It took me a minute. I've been reading the Bible for like 50 years and, it, and I got it. That's why the Bible's living and active. You can read it over and over and over again and get something new. So I wanna, I wanna share this story. We're coming back to Cat Lady, but it's gonna take a minute to get there. Watch this, Exodus Chapter eight, verse one. Then the Lord said to Moses, go back to Pharaoh and announce to him, this is what the Lord says. Let my people go so they can worship me. So God's fighting for his people. And somebody needs to hear that tonight, that God is fighting for you. He sees you, he knows you, he is fighting for you. Well, I can't see it. Well, even when you can't see it, you gotta know it. It's called faith. So God's fighting. Now here's where it gets weird. If you refuse to let them go, I will send a plague of frogs across your entire land. Now, if I'm Pharaoh, I'm like, you know what? They can, they can go because I hate frogs. I know you're not supposed to hate anything, but I hate frogs because they're gross. They're nasty. They're ugly. They're slimy. They're just, I don't even like Kermit the frog, okay? I mean, I, mean, I don't like frogs. If I come to your house and you got one of those cute little clay frogs out in your little, I'll stomp it. I, like, I, I, I don't like frogs. But the Egyptians loved frogs. 
because frogs were symbolic. They were, they were a good luck charm. It was tied into a goddess named Heket. And anytime we see Heket depicted in Egyptian literature, she has the body of a woman, but the face of a frog. Yeah, I went out with her in middle school. Anyway, so, <laughs> ah, so, so you got this, this frog thing happening and Moses is like, you're gonna have, and, and Pharaoh was like, well, that's, a, that's, that's good. We like frogs because frogs represented fertility. So if you saw frogs, that meant your crops were gonna grow. If you saw frogs, that meant you're gonna have babies. If you had frogs, that meant you're gonna get a raise at work. Frogs were a good thing. And so Pharaoh was like, yeah, bring on the frogs. I'm not worried about the frogs. And so Moses was like, are you sure you want frogs, Pharaoh? Because, because this is how it's gonna happen. The Nile River will swarm with frogs. And he's thinking, well, of course the Nile River will swarm with frogs. That's where frogs live, the river, Captain Obvious. Anything else? Yep, they will come up out of the river and into your palace. Well, that would be fine because if I see a frog in my palace, that's a good luck charm, it's a good luck sign. I know that, that Haket is with me and I feel good about it. I'm not done yet. He said, even into your bedroom and onto your bed. Oh, heck no. No frog in my bed. They will enter the houses of your officials and your people. By the way, his officials and his people are standing around going, you good with this? No, man, I ain't good with this. They will even jump into your ovens. Now, listen, when, when the frogs start messing with my food, I'm drawing the line. They're gonna jump in the ovens and, they, and, and in your kneading bowls. And, and then verse four says, frogs will jump on you. Can you imagine that? You get up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom, you just walk in the bathroom, you're like, ah! You just come fighting frogs all day. You're just trying to get to your truck, just swinging at frogs, right? Frogs will jump on you. You get a frog. Listen, some of y'all think, don't think this is funny. When y'all leave tonight, some, we got some volunteers going to throw frogs at you. <laughs> frogs will jump on you and all your officials. And Pharaoh was like, Let's bring the frogs. Who let the frogs out? Let's go. Let's go, Mo and Aaron. Let's bring the frogs. Let's do what you got to do. We're not scared of frogs. And Moses was like, you want frogs? Okay. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell Hey, Aaron, raise the staff in your hand over all the rivers, canals, and ponds of Egypt and bring up frogs all over the land. So Aaron raised his hand over the waters of Egypt and frogs came up and covered the whole land. Can you imagine going home tonight, opening your door, and you got frogs six inches deep in your house? Nobody's like, well, this is good. This is a sign from God. I think we're, I think we're blessed and highly favored. No, me, I'm like, you know what? Sell the house. Burn the house. I don't, I don't care. Get, get, let's get out. So they got frogs everywhere. And finally, Pharaoh freaks out, as I would, as you would too. Even though, even, <laughs> have you ever wanted something and you got it and you realized you didn't want it? That's what happened to Pharaoh. So Pharaoh, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and begged, and, which is crazy because Egyptians, Egyptian rulers didn't beg. He begged them, he said, plead with the Lord to take the frogs away from me and my people. Do you think Moses might've had a smirk on his face? Yeah, okay, I, I will. Um, I will let your people go so they can offer sacrifices to the Lord. And that's another message for another time because he lied about that and he lied several times and eventually he just lost everything. But verse nine, you set the time, Moses replied. 
Tell me when you want me to pray for you, your officials and your people. Then you and your houses will be rid of the frogs. They will remain only in the Nile River. Now let's play a game of let's pretend. Let's pretend that, that you are Pharaoh. And Moses just told you, you set the time. When do you want the frogs to go? What is your answer? Now, right freaking now. I want the frogs out right now. That would make sense, right? If you, if you broke your leg tonight and they took you to the ER after the 17 day wait, when they finally got you back in there and the doctor walked in and said, hey, I can see you're in pain. When would you like the pain to stop? What would you say? Now, right now. I want the frogs out now. I want the pain to stop now, which is why it's so weird when we look at Pharaoh's answer. Do it tomorrow. I'm, I'm almost sure Moses looked at Aaron and said, did he say tomorrow? I think so. Let me get this straight, Pharaoh. You want one more night with the frogs. And can, can we all agree that's a little bit weird? Y'all remember Cat Lady? Wanted one more night with a cat? Can we all agree? That's a little bit weird. But let me ask you this question. How many times have we had something broken and twisted and messed up in our lives? We knew it needed, it, we knew something was wrong and it needed to get right. But when we got convicted or confronted about it, we say, yeah, I'll, um, I'll do it tomorrow. Oh, I know I need to change, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna quit tomorrow. I'm gonna turn over a new leaf tomorrow. And isn't it funny how many tomorrows we experience in our lives? It's, it's, it's crazy. Um, the, the, reason, the reason Pharaoh said this is because the frogs represented a spiritual stronghold in his life. Now, I was doing some, I was doing some thinking about the teaching that I've done over the past 30 years, I've never taught on strongholds. I've never taught on strongholds. It's not because I haven't thought they were important. I've just, I've just never came across it like this. But can you agree that when you don't want the frogs out immediately, there's something broken in your life? There's a, there's a stronghold there? So I wanna define what a stronghold is tonight. And then I wanna offer a few suggestions that maybe some people in this room or some people watching online have struggled with when it comes to strongholds. This is what a stronghold is. Um, a stronghold is a place in our lives where we have gradually surrendered ground to the enemy to the point where we feel trapped, helpless, thus causing us to accept it, meaning the stronghold, as our identity. Y'all like that definition? It's from um, Bishop P.B. Noble. Uh, <laughs> you'll get that later. This is a dead crowd tonight. Y'all gonna have to liven up because we, okay, okay. We're gonna go there. We're gonna go there. Y'all gonna be quiet tonight. I'm gonna give you something to shout about. You gonna say, oh man, or amen. Are you ready for it? Let's, let's go through some strongholds. And these are all strongholds, by the way, that I know something about because these are strongholds that God, through the power of Jesus and his Holy Spirit and other people, have allowed or enabled me to break. 
I didn't do these on my own, but these are some things I know some stuff about. You ready for it? Let's go on number one, addiction. Now, my addiction was, was obvious. It was alcohol. But you know what I discovered? There's a lot of people that are addicted. And they say they're going to deal with it tomorrow. Uh, now, let me, let me tell you how an addiction starts. And it, it can be anything. Alcohol, porn, pills, anything. It, it can be anything. This is how my addiction started. Um, I gave up drinking in 1989 before I came to Christ. I had a super bad experience one night at a party, and that's all it took. I said, no more for me. And then I met Jesus, and I got saved in the Baptist church. Now, Baptists don't drink. Um, at least they don't admit to it, all right? That's the difference between a Baptist and a Presbyterian. A Baptist don't wave at you in the liquor store. So I was Baptist, and so we, had, we were teetotalers. We didn't drink, and if you did drink, you were probably going to hell. You're driving to Hell Express. Um, and then I kind of loosened up, and, and, and about 10 years ago, I was out of the country with some friends. We were at a big table, and I'm a, if I'm having this steak, I, I enjoyed a good glass of Cab Sav that just kind of bit you a little bit, just loved a good dry wine. And so I, I drank a glass that night, and, and then I drank a second glass, and, and then, I drank, then I drank that third glass. And I'm going to tell y'all, <laughs> on that third glass, your boy was feeling some joy. I, I, I just, now I didn't, I didn't put a lampshade on my head and sing Garth Brooks music. I'm just saying I, I was feeling a little bit joyful. And so the next time, about a month and a half later, I was out of town with the same group of people. I was like, bring it and bring it. And I had three glasses. I had three glasses. I said, man, I feel good. I said, you know what? Why would I keep this joy limited to a place when I can bring this joy into my house? And so it got to where I would do a bottle of wine a night. And then two and then I discovered that liquor is quicker. You could spend less money and get drunk. And then, and then I was so addicted that I started lying to myself. And I started saying things like, I have to have it to sleep. I have to have it to sleep. Here's what's crazy. I've been sleeping for 45 years without it. But I had to have it. I'm saying that because... I know there are people in this room wrestling with an addiction. Alcohol, porn, pills, social media. Obsessed with what people think about you that don't even know you. So obsessed that you'll ignore everybody around you to impress these people that don't even really like you. It's an addiction. Uh, let, let's let's kind of go into another stronghold. Um, anger slash bitterness. Now, if you've ever heard me teach about anger and bitterness, you've heard me talk about Roy Pettit. Roy Pettit is a real person. That's not like a, and, and I don't know, he might come to this church. And if you do, Roy, um, I would like to meet you after the service. I still got something for you. Anyway, so Roy was in the fourth grade I went to a Christian school and I went to the school back in the day when you got paddlings at school. Oh my gosh, well, how was that? Well, you know what, straightened me out, but I got a pad and I had like a punch card. Like if I got one at school, I got one at home. I had a two for one deal. So in fourth grade, Miss Nally gave me a paddling. I walked back in the class, told the class it didn't hurt and Roy Pettit told Miss Nally. And Miss Nally told me to go back to the office and get a second paddling within 30 minutes. 
I'm an overachiever. And I came back in that room and I looked at Roy Pettit and I said, I'm going to kill you. In the fourth grade, I had rage issues. So, so, so for, for like a good four or five months, every time he would get on the monkey bars, I would try to make my way over so I could push him down or something like that. I had anger and bitterness. Isn't it funny how we can remember the people that hurt us in the fourth grade? Now, this is how you know that you've got anger or bitterness in your heart. There, if there's somebody in your life that if you heard something bad happen to them and you'd be happy about it, that's messed up. That's anger. That's bitterness. And this is your pushback. And I know your pushback because I gave you this pushback for years. You don't know what they did to me. And you're right. I don't. But this is what I do know. It sucked. It was horrible. It was bad. It is bad. But being angry and bitter at them is not hurting them. It's hurting you. It's destroying you from the inside. Jesus said we would be known by the way that we love one another. So to allow, and, and this is another way you know that you have anger and bitterness. The smallest things set you off and you just fly into a rage over the smallest things. Well, that's how my grandpa was and that's how my daddy was and I believe in generational curses. You know what I believe in? I believe in generational blessings and I believe you can set an example for your children and your grandchildren and you can stop the craziness that's been going on in your family for years. Yeah, thank you. Okay, you're with me. All right, let's talk, let's talk about a, another one, despair. Despair is where anxiety and depression come from. This is when we let other people and the enemy get in our head, and despair is not a place where the Lord wants us to live. Now, we get there. Even David in the Psalms wrote several times, I am in deep despair. The problem with anxiety and depression is we today in our society, we hold it up as a trophy. I've got anxiety. I've got depression. And we go, oh, good for you. It is good to admit that, but here's the good news. That's not what God created us to live in or live for. That's something that we can break free of. Taken from a God that was at rock bottom, I'm telling you that, that those chains can be broken in our lives. And last but not least, since we live in the southeastern part of the United States, legalism. Now, this, this was the strongest stronghold that I had to, I had to break, legalism. Legalism is when you, you make up rules for other people. You can't go to that movie. You can't listen to that music. You can't do it. I'm not talking about your kids. I'm talking about everybody. Just judging everybody. Get mad at everybody. Got standards for everybody. Really high standards. Now, you got your own secrets in, but we ain't talking about that. The legalist, I heard it said like this one time, and it was beautiful. Satan's greatest creation was not the prostitute, but the Pharisee. Now, the last time I said that, Karen from online let me know that um, Satan didn't create anything. And, and you're right, Karen, he didn't. You got, except for you. Um, but uh, I just, <laughs> Karen's a fictitious person, kinda. Um, but the, the legalism, when it takes root in our heart, it causes us to care about the wrong thing. 
For example, outside these doors, in Anderson, Greenville, Spartanburg, the state of South Carolina, there are thousands of people that are unchurched, dying, and going to go to hell if they don't meet Jesus. Some people in this room just don't give a shit. Now, the way to tell that there's legalism in your heart is if you're more upset over the word, I said the word shit, then you are bothered by the thousands of people that are lost, dying, and going to hell. That's how you know. <laughs> Some of y'all weren't clapping. Yeah, it's just can break that chain right there, all right? So, so there's lies that the enemy tells us when it comes to, legal, when it comes to uh, strongholds. Here's the first lie. Keep it a secret. Hey, you got this issue. Don't tell anybody. Keep it, especially don't tell church people they carry rocks. Keep it a secret. Keep it inside. Don't tell anybody. But here's, here's, the, here's the bad news you're not gonna be able to keep it a secret because it's gonna come out. Trust me, you can't hide it. It's gonna come out. I've said for years, the, the consequences of concealment are far greater than the consequences of confession. And, and so, but the enemy wants you to keep it a secret because if he can keep you shackled and suffering in silence, he's got you for as long as you, you'll stay quiet about it. Here's the second lie. He'll say it's not a big deal. I mean, you got an issue, but it's not, I mean, okay, 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 you're drinking two bottles of wine a night, but your sister-in-law's putting down three, so come on. You're doing better than, isn't it funny how we can always find somebody we're doing better than them? Even if we got to go to like, like Jeffrey Dahmer or Charles Manson, we're like, we're not, at least we're not killing people. Okay, congratulations. But the enemy always tries, he wants, he wants you to, to, to minimize that thing. It's, it's not a big deal. And, and third is it's, it's too late. Other people can overcome their strongholds, but not you. You've been wrestling with it for five years, 10 years, 20 years, 40 years. Let me ask you a question. How long have the Egyptians been enslaved? I mean, how long have the Israelites been enslaved to the Egyptians? 400 years. If God can set somebody free after 400 years, he can set somebody in this room tonight after 40. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse three and four, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. In other words, we're, we're approaching this from a spiritual vantage point, a spiritual point of view. Paul said, we don't fight like the world fights. We, we've got... We've got better weapons. We've got a higher power. Then he goes on to say this in verse four. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power. What kind of power? Divine power to demolish strongholds. In other words, if there's a stronghold in your life and you are a follower of Jesus. I want you to understand two things tonight. Number one, I understand because I've been there. But number two, that stronghold's gonna stay there until you decide 
that you don't want to live that way anymore. Nobody can destroy it for you. Nobody can destroy it for you. So what do we need to do to demolish strongholds? Well, the first thing is we need to ask Jesus for help. Now, when I say ask Jesus for help, I'm not saying, Jesus, forgive me for what I just did, but I'm gonna do it again tomorrow night, but we'll talk then, and I'll ask for forgiveness then. That's not what I'm talking about. When we ask, let me tell you what, let me tell you what I told the Lord. I don't wanna live like this anymore. The last, time, the last time I got drunk, I was out of rehab. I'd been out of rehab for God, like three weeks. I didn't share this this morning, but I felt like I need to share it tonight. Um, I've been out of rehab for like three weeks. And I went to a, a party. Well, we were drinking, we were drinking pretty hard. I mean, if you're gonna do something, do it, right? And the last thing I remember is telling jokes at the party and everybody was laughing. And then the next thing I remember is waking up in bed and I didn't remember getting there. It's called blackout drunk. That had never happened to me before. And literally, I got out of bed, I went to the kitchen sat on a, a bar stool at the kitchen and, and told God, I don't want to live this way anymore. I don't want to live this way anymore. That was nobody else's decision. That was my decision. And it was the beginning of those chains breaking in my life. When you ask Jesus for help, you're not saying, Help me, but I don't really want to help because I, this is kind of my identity. You're saying, I don't want to live this way anymore. See, the church will tell you, don't do that. That's not good news. Good news is you don't have to live that way. You can be free. And it begins with a man named Jesus, which comes to point number two, point number two, is you gotta ask others for help. You gotta ask others. You, you can't overcome that stronghold on your own. Notice the inclusive language that Paul used when he said the weapons we fight with, not the weapons that you should fight with. He said the weapons that we fight with, we. So when I, when I got out of treatment, I had a friend that called me every single day for six months, every single day. How you doing? How's it going? How can I, it, it, and it wasn't like, do you drink today? It wasn't one of those. Because you ignore those calls after a while. And I'm telling you, if it wouldn't have been for this friend, I wouldn't be standing on the stage. I wouldn't have made it. There are people, listen, there are people in this room that you are facing a stronghold and you think, that this thing looks impossible and you're probably sitting on the same row with somebody that you don't know that overcame that stronghold five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Did, did you know there are people in this room that have fought some freaking giants and won? 
and they can walk you through that valley. They can walk you through that battle. You can't pick up a sword, but they can, and they can fight with you, and they can help you win that fight. You're not gonna make it on your own. You can't heal yourself. Last but not least, you gotta know that Jesus' strength is greater than the enemy's stronghold. The, the, problem, the problem with the, the mindset of those of us who have been captivated by a stronghold is we think there's no way out. There's no way out. I'll, this is who I am and I'll always be this way. But I'm telling you, there's power in the name of Jesus. There really is power. His name is higher, he is greater, he is stronger than anything or anyone that comes against his children. So tonight, I wanna just ask you a question. Is there a stronghold in your life that needs to be torn down? Because the night, well, tonight could be the night the process begins or you can get completely set free. Now, I was preparing this message because I write, I write all my stuff out. I'm writing it out, I'm writing it out, I'm writing it out. How, you know, I was like, how do, we, how do we end this, God? There's some people in the street, so you don't just tell people, y'all got strongholds, pray about it, see y'all next week. God spoke to my heart. He said, you're gonna have to go old school on this one, P. Old school, yeah. You're gonna do an invitation. We do an invitation. No, 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 no. You're gonna do a walk forward invitation. You're gonna do a pray for people invitation. And while you're doing it, the worship team is gonna sing. And when I say sing, they're not gonna sing softly. We are going, we're going to sing and celebrate so loud that we're gonna shake the gates of hell. Because that's what you do when you celebrate. When, you, when you're on the winning team, you don't hold your head down, you hold your head up, you hold your head high and we celebrate. So tonight, that's what we're gonna do for our invitation. In a few minutes, we're gonna stand up. I'm gonna pray, and when I say amen, the worship team's gonna kick in. There's gonna be people all along the front, staff and volunteers that would love to pray with you and pray for you. If you want them to pray with you, you come forward. Maybe you don't want anybody to pray for you. You just wanna pray, then come forward and kneel down somewhere up front and pray. Maybe you need to look at the person you came with tonight and say, would you go pray for me or can, can we pray together? Maybe that's what needs, I don't know what needs to happen, but this is what I do know. You can be set free from that stronghold or you can ignore God's voice, have one more night with the frogs. I don't think you want that. So y'all stand and let's pray. Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that every single person in this room would know that they are loved by you. There is no other name like your name. There is power in the name of Jesus. And Jesus, I pray as, as we sing and we celebrate that God, you would 
shatter strongholds in people's lives. Right now, with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you need to make a move and come forward tonight to be prayed for or to pray, I'm just gonna do it standing here. Nope, 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 tonight we're making a move. Then at any point during this song, at any point you step out and walk forward. If you wanted to start it now, you just step out and walk forward. Anytime we're, because we're gonna sing, but at any point you feel like God is calling you to break that stronghold, you step out, walk forward, and let's get that process started because you don't have to live that way anymore. Thank you, Jesus, that you are greater and higher. The name of Jesus, where every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that you are Lord. May you take these next several minutes together and break chains, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. Father, God, I just wanna say thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you that you break chains, you set people free. God, I wanna thank you for the process that you started tonight in so many of us and for some of us, God, I wanna thank you for the chains that just got snapped, just got broken. Father, may we walk out of this room tonight knowing, Jesus, that you are greater and you are higher. Your name really is above all names. With heads still bowed and eyes still closed, maybe you're here tonight. You're like, what was that? That's called God showing up in a service. And if it doesn't connect with you, maybe it's because you're not connected with Jesus. Maybe tonight's the night you need to ask Christ to come to your life. You need to give your life to Jesus. You need to become a Christian, Christ follower. And so if that's you tonight, I want to invite you to pray right where you're standing. But you don't have to pray. You don't have to pray by yourself. I'm going to ask you to pray out loud, but not by yourself, because our whole Second Chance family, we're going to pray this prayer with you so you can know that as you're praying this, you're not stepping into this journey alone, that we're going to journey with you. So if you're here tonight, you need to accept Christ. I want you to pray this Right now, where you stand with me, Second Chance family, let's pray it with them. Just say, Jesus Christ, I confess you as Lord. I confess you as my King. I believe you died on the cross and rose from the grave and paid for my sins. And right now, Jesus, I thank you for saving me. In your name I pray. With heads bowed and eyes closed all over this room, if you just prayed to receive Christ, if you just prayed that prayer, I want to pray with you and I want to pray for you. I want you to do me a favor. I just want you to put your hand straight up in the air and hold it up so I can see it and keep it up so I can say amen, amen. Anybody else? Keep it up, keep it up, keep it up, keep it up, keep it up. Father, I want to thank you so much for hands in the air. I want to thank you so much for people all day long that have prayed to receive you, Jesus. Jesus, I want to thank you that today there's so many people God, finally, we understood that we can live in victory. We don't have to live the way the enemy wants us to live. We can, we can have a full life, and we can have an abundant life, and we can have a life where we live in freedom. So God, as we leave this place tonight, may we do so with our heads held high, knowing that you are the King of kings, and you are the Lord of lords, and you are greater and higher and stronger. There is 
no weapon formed against us that will prosper because you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We thank you, Jesus, for this, and we declare this in your name. Everybody that agreed said amen and amen. Are you glad you came to church tonight? Me too. I hope you all have a great week, and we'll see you all back here next Sunday.